0: Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Good morning! Yeah, yeah, yeah! Yeah, yeah. It's time to wake up. (laughs) It's 5. We're live. Oh, is this thing on? I don't care. I want him to hear. This is the pregame show. Your early morning shot of sports on 95.7 The Game. Come on!
1: Yes, sir! Good morning, family. <laughs> Stephen Langford on the pregame show. the game leading up until 6 o'clock. I'm not going to lie, that yes sir took the wind out of me. Hang on, give me a sec. (sighs) Alright, we're okay. I do want to get into this Giants loss to the Mets as, as they have lost the second of this four game series in a stretch where, quite frankly... You need to stack up these wins. Like there's no other way around it. And I opened the show yesterday, and I hope you're listening, uh, Mister Jim Cosmore, as he will be in with Bonte again uh, today with the morning roast. But yesterday, after the Do- or excuse me, after the Giants uh, lost to the uh, lost to the Brewers three to one. After that happened, I came away from that game feeling a little more optimistic than I normally would coming off of uh coming off of a loss because Look, you were in a spot where Johnny Cueto couldn't go because he was feeling the symptoms of a cold, wasn't feeling good enough to go out there. Then they, you know, went with the opener and Jose Alvarez. Their bullpen was able to keep them in it, and the lineup was—they were giving themselves chances, but ultimately couldn't execute. And the reason that I was feeling good about that one is because they were using Corbin Burns and three of their best relievers, and that's the best that the Brewers have. And the Giants still. Had a chance to win the game, but yesterday I came away feeling completely different after the Giants lose six to two because they went down early on in the game. By the time uh, the fourth inning was around, it, the game just did not feel like the Giants had. It didn't feel like the Giants had any chance of coming back, even when when they went down early six to nothing within the first four innings. And after that, they started to settle down. The bullpen, Jose Quintana, was fantastic in relief of Johnny Cueto. I don't know what this means and we can discuss it a little more uh, going forward, but Jose Quintana claimed by the Giants off of waivers, and you know him, he's pitched in Chicago before, uh, uh, you know, was expected to do a lot with the White Sox and then, he was actually pretty good with the White Sox when he first got started uh, back in 2012, then he got traded over to the Cubs, and he wasn't nearly as good with the Cubs as he was with the White Sox, and then um, and the Giants ended up claiming him off of waivers and he ends up striking out six in his three innings pitched and that was the bright spot but in those first four innings of that game the reason that i was so so much more down just after this loss yesterday was the first four innings of that game that looked like the giants team that we know that got them to 73.5 win total bet before the season in Vegas. Like, they looked like that team from 2019 and 2020, Uh those teams where they'd get down early because the starting pitching wasn't that good, and when they were down by a crooked number, you didn't feel like there was much of a chance of them coming back. Because, look, Brandon Woodruff, a very good pitcher for the Milwaukee Brewers last night, he struck out eight in his six innings of work. Johnny Cueto was giving up earned runs early now granted the defense was terrible uh, especially in the fourth inning where the Giants were just giving them every single chance to get back into the game Um, you know it just looked ugly in the outfield. That uh, that whole situation with Narvaez and um, them letting runners on—it just wasn't pretty. But uh, look, in that third inning, that's where things for me uh, started to go wrong because Johnny Cueto, you know, got two quick outs to start out from Yelich and then Narvaez. But then with a three-two count, Avazel Garcia is up, throws a pitch inside, and you know. You could argue whether Garcia should have moved or tried to dodge the ball, but he didn't lean in either. It just went straight to his, hu- straight to his arm and Avicenna Garcia was able to get on. Then Rowdy Telez hits one to center, hits it off the wall, ends up getting a triple, makes it four nothing till Milwaukee. While the entire time Brandon Woodruff is going and the Giants, they were able to get a couple of runners on, but ultimately they were 0 for eight with runners in scoring position and that was the first time that this team in my opinion this 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 entire season the way that they were just not executing with the bats their starting pitching was rough and the defense wasn't as good as it's been the entirety of the season like that's what the 2020 Giants looked like that's what got them the 73 and a half win total uh, going into this year it's that type of play and really at this point in the season, um I think that, you know, it, it, sometimes it's too early to hit the panic button, but now as the Dodgers are only a half game back as they've won two in a row against a team in Atlanta who you only could beat once out of 3 games, Like, it's not going to get any prettier from here. (laughs) Like, you know, until you're done with this, uh, done with this whole homestand and, you know, you're going to go over to Coors Field uh, to play the Rockies after you play the Dodgers this weekend. (sighs) I mean, the Dodgers are looking to come into Oracle Park and essentially end any hopes that you had of trying to win the National League West. But yesterday, it was the errors to me that really stuck out. And Gabe Kapler, um, right now, you know, you could tell uh, this year, whenever they have these types of losses where he doesn't want to talk much, his press conferences tend to last three or four minutes. But after wins, he's willing to be a a lot more talkative. But just listen to this answer when he was talking about uh, the defense from last night.
0: You know, I like to speak a little bit more generally uh, when it comes to our, our defense, and because a lot of it is is the way we're playing as a team. You know, t- tonight's defensive effort wasn't wasn't strong enough. I think we all know that, and and in particular, I think Johnny needed us to play really good defense behind him to give him a chance to go deeper into the game, and we weren't able to do that.
1: And that's what has uh, made me nervous now going into this final stretch. Because you can get away with having a bad offensive performance if your starting pitcher manages to keep you within the game. If the starting pitcher gives up less than a crooked number, you can give up a run or two, but as long as you keep it below that uh, threshold and you give them more of a chance, you have way uh, less of a cushion for the opposing starting pitcher... Like you can get away with sometimes the lineup not uh, not performing up to expectation because you know in the end the lineup can get a solo home run from Brandon Belt eventually or a solo home run from Wilmer Flores. I mean, if there's anything that we've at least learned uh, with this Giants team, it's that they can hit home runs. So if a starting pitcher has a good outing, then the lineup can uh, uh, can maybe win you some ball games just with some simple solo, maybe two run homers. Um, that's just the way of the game now, but. The Giants, besides Logan Webb, they don't have that starting pitcher who is going to bail you out if you're having a bad day in the lineup. And, you know, on the opposite side of that, if you're not hitting the ball well and your starting pitchers are playing terribly, then maybe you need to play a little bit better defense. And they're just not playing that complimentary baseball that we've seen from the Giants this entirety of the season. And, you know what? The 574 has it perfectly here. The Giants look like they just need a day off or two. They have been there have been players going on and off the IL and look, this was a situation where I think Gabe Kapler can just admit, I mean, he doesn't want to because you still got two more games left against this Brewers team and then you got three against the Dodgers and then you got two against Colorado, but within this stretch Gabe Kapler could absolutely say, yeah, this team is tired because that's what they look like right now. That's what they look like. Um, You know, Brandon, uh, Brandon Crawford, and Buster Posey still great players. I don't have any. Uh, I don't have any doubt that you know they could pick it up toward the end of the season. But they really have not been that great uh, in this back half of August. Chris Bryant has been probably their best hitter. Mike Isseymski will get you um, a hit here or there, but he's not. He struck out three times yesterday and overall went one for four. Wilmer Flores can get you that solo home run. Um, Alex Dickerson, you need him to provide more pop whenever he's in the lineup. Uh, It's just... It's not very pretty right now. And with the way that the schedule is working out and the fact that the Dodgers are going to be playing a majority of their games against Colorado and Arizona in this back half... or this this home stretch of the season, this final month of the season, while the Giants still got to play the Brewers, the Dodgers, and then Colorado at Coors Field, Like it's not looking good right now. And I think if you're a Giants fan and you wanted them to win the National League West, well, look, the only way they're going to do that I mean, you got those two games plus three plus uh, plus what? How many? How what's that series? Let me let me double check that. What's that series in Colorado? I just want to make sure uh, that it's a uh, three game set in Colorado as opposed to a two game set. So it's going to be a three game set. So you're going two more against the Brewers at home, three more at home against the Dodgers over the weekend, then three in Coors Field against the Rockies. That's eight more games. You can't go four and four and expect to win the National League West. You do have the Cubs on the other side after you have a day off, but then you go back and you face the Padres, the Braves, then the Padres again. So it just doesn't get much easier for the rest of this month in September. I mean, if you're expecting to win the National League West, knowing how the Dodgers are going to be playing toward this final month, I mean, you gotta sweep the Dodgers at home this weekend. Like, that has to happen. Especially if you're not gonna win uh, these next two against the Brewers. Because it doesn't look like they're gonna do that right now, and the lineup is not playing well, and then you go up against the Dodgers this weekend, and they're gonna be throwing Max Scherzer at the end of Sunday. You're gonna be facing Julio Urias and uh, and, and, and Walker Bueller, I believe, over the weekend. It's it is, They needed that game last night. They really did, and the offense just couldn't execute, and the defense couldn't execute, even though Jose Quintana did give them a good three-inning stretch there, but Johnny Cueto didn't do enough either uh, to keep them within the game because if that third inning didn't happen, we could be looking at this completely differently. And whenever the thing with Cueto that gets me every single time is if that man goes into the stretch, it feels like a run is going to come home no matter what. When he's going out of the windup and you know he's getting guys out, he's doing his shimmy, throwing the timing off, that's when Cueto's at his best. But as soon as Cueto you know, gives up a hit uh, to start the game, now he didn't give one up right at the opening at-bat because he got Colton Wong to fly out, but as soon as Willie Adamas comes in, first pitch to him, hits a single over to uh, over to left field, and it's not just a single, it's a little blooper, because Alex Dickerson was shaded way too far uh, toward left center uh, for Willie Adamas, so he was able to just hit a little, uh, f- a little pop fly, essentially, to left field to get that single. But once you're getting Johnny Cueto out of the stretch, that's when he's at his worst, and the lineup did not pick him up yesterday. The bullpen did. The bullpen did their job but three fourths of what you need in order to win, what you need to do in order to be successful just wasn't a clean brand of baseball yesterday, and I think there's absolutely reason to panic if you're a Giants fan and you wanted to win the National League West all right triple eight nine five seven nine five seven zero is the text line and the phone number if you want to weigh in on anything today a couple of really cool moments. Uh, in baseball happened last night. I do want to get to that because the A's got their win over the Tigers, but I also want to talk about what happened with the Mets in the first of their doubleheader. You gotta hear this radio call from SNY over in New York as the uh, Mets walked it off, and not only was it the Mets, it was Javi Baez, so you gotta hear that call next, plus Shohei Otani continuing to do things that we haven't seen before. That's all coming up next. 888 9570. That's the text line and the phone number. Steven Langford in on the pregame show. 957 The Game.
0: Now back to the pregame show on 957 The Game. Here's
1: Stephen Langford. You heard the big voice, guys. Stephen Langford in with you. Nice guy, Stephen. As some of you, of uh, some of you, as as some of you may know me, <laughs> maybe mumble guy Stephen has to be my uh, my new name here. Triple eight nine five seven nine five seven zero. That's the text line and the phone number. And I want to know from you if you're a Giants fan. Are you going to hit the panic button? Is is it time for us to worry about this team and where they're at within the National League West and how we're going in this stretch of September? I want to know from you at 888 uh, 957 I'm just stumbling all through my words today. Not going to lie, I'm a little tired. Stayed up a little late last night. But I do have this to say with... Yesterday in baseball, there are a couple of cool moments. And which one should I start out with? Which one, uh, man? I mean, I mean, both of these were just equally uh, uh, memorable, I'd say, uh, about you know yesterday's game. let's start with let's start with the Mets. Let's start with what happened. In the first of their two games as the Mets and the Marlins uh, both faced off in this one. And I am I think this first game that they played yesterday was making up for a game that was postponed from way early on in the season. Way early on. I'm talking like seven games into the season earlier on this year, uh, the Marlins and the Mets were playing. And we know what's been happening with the Mets. You know Steve Cohen their owner he's been tweeting out about the lineup how they're not hitting very well and you know the lineup was the detriment to the team when they had their series against the the Giants and then recently With the new guys on the team, with Francisco Lindor, who hasn't been playing well for the contract that he got, the big contract that he got with the Mets earlier on this year, also having a a couple of stints on the I.L., not being able to stay healthy uh, for some of the season. Francisco Lindor hasn't played too much, but he's recently come back into the lineup. And then Javier Baez, who was traded from the Cubs. Uh, They're both... Getting booed a lot, and the team is getting booed a lot. So, as you know, they came up with the thumbs down celebration, where essentially they said that, you know, if the fans are going to boo us, then we're going to boo them. And the way that Javier Baez spoke about it in one of his press conferences, well, he apologized for that yesterday. But here's the crazy part as the Mets were playing the first game, uh, their first game against the Marlins yesterday, they were down five to two in the uh in the um in the ninth inning they were down five to two Brandon Nimmo gets on with the home run then it's five3 Mets then you get a couple of runners on base with Dominic Smith and then Pete Alonso get a couple of runners on second and third Javier Baez then hits one of those guys in to make it five to four as Dominic Smith was hit in with the Javier Baez single, then Pete Alonso to third. So you got the tying run at third. You got Javier Baez at first, and you got Michael Conforto at the plate. Then Michael Conforto hits one to left, and then this happens. This is courtesy of SNY.
0: Alonso, the tying run at third. Baez, the winning run at
2: first. Two out. And Conforto slashes one the other way. Base hit that ties the game. Alonso in Baez thinking for third. It's kicked by Alfaro. Here comes Baez trying to score. He scores and the Mets win it. Turn those thumbs around. Javi <laughs> Baez races home with a winning run. And the Mets win it six to five.
1: The other two guys in the booth were just completely astonished. I believe it was uh, Ron Darling and Keith Hernandez who were in the booth alongside him. But look, that was just a, a, a cool moment to happen. It's funny how all of that just turns around with a single play. With something that happened earlier on, it's it's clear that you know these guys and the fans they don't have a very good relationship. Has not gotten off on the right foot, and now he goes ahead and does that, gets them their uh, their win in game one, and they eventually win uh, three to one in game two. Um, So look. It's a completion, excuse me. It was a completion of the game from April 11th, uh, which is what they were doing, uh, from earlier on in the season. So they got it to the ninth and Javier Baez manages to get all the way home from first and, you know, scoring on the error. And then that call courtesy of SNY was just fantastic. Lonzo, the tying run at third. Baez, the winning run at first, two out. And Conforto slashes one the other way.
2: Base hit that ties the game. Alonso in Baez thinking for third. It's kicked by Alfaro. Here comes Baez trying to score. He scores and the Mets win it. Turn those thumbs around. Javi Baez races home with a winning run. And the Mets win it six to five. <laughs>
1: I mean, that could only happen uh, with the Mets there, right? That's just a perfect call for that situation. But moving on to something else cool that's happened in baseball, and it's not just this moment, but everything that this guy has been doing this entire season, Shohei Otani has been nothing short of fantastic, nothing short of impressive. Any any word that you can use to describe, any good word you could use to describe Shohei Otani season, it has been terrific. I mean, the dude has been pitching, he's been hitting, he's been hitting 42 home runs, he's been stealing bases, and that's what happened in this game yesterday as the Angels beat the Yankees, but there was a double steal, so um Otani was at third, Goslin. Uh, their third baseman, Phil Gosselin, was at first. So you had runners at first and third, and there was a delayed steal with Goslin, which forced the Yankees to try and throw to second, and then Shohei Ohtani gets it done by stealing home.
2: A swing and a miss, a delayed double steal attempt, throw to the plate, He might take a look at that, but it looks like Shohei got his hand in there.
0: If it stands, it's the second stolen base of the game for Shohei. Goslin draws the throw, and then Shohei was off to the races. That was a delayed steal to draw that throw and gets a hand in just oh, before boy. the tag. That's so close. Just before the tag. Not-
1: and it was so important because they got the 6-4 win over the Yankees yesterday. But here's the thing. In the American League West, the Astros are five ahead of the A's, even though the A's got their win uh, over Detroit. As Houston's going to play, uh, go on to f- uh, face Seattle. But Houston, they're five games up. Then you got the A's at seventy-three and fifty-nine. Then you got Seattle at seventy-one and sixty-two. Then you got the Angels at sixty-six and sixty-seven. So you're seven and a half games back if you're the Angels of the second place A's. And here's the thing for me. And I'm going to continue to repeat this, because if you've heard this show before, if you've heard me talk about Shohei Ohtani the way we're talking about him, if there's any player in the league right now who I want to see in the playoffs, who I want to see play in a five-seven game series, uh, well, number one from it's it's it, number one A and one B. I'd probably go Shohei Otani with one A, and then Luis Robert from the Chicago White Sox with one B. I want to see him play uh, in the in the uh, in the playoffs, but. Man, I'm seeing him do all these terrific things, all these historic things, something that n- nobody's going to appreciate. And everyone's asking, you know, why aren't we appreciating Shohei Otani the way we need to? Why aren't we appreciating this? Why aren't we appreciating that? Well, the reason being, and the reason why we haven't really appreciated Mike Trout, unless you're some sort of, you know, diehard baseball fan who may, uh, pays attention to every single pitch, but they play in L.A., like, that, that's their biggest flaw, if anything. That is their only flaw. Now, sure, Shohei can, you know, maybe his average can get up there a little bit. He's only got a two hundred sixty two batting average, but still, he's hitting 40 home runs, and he's got an 8-1 and record as a starter with a 3 ERA in his 19 starts. In his 19 starts. In his 100, 105 innings of work, he struck out 127 guys. Like, he's doing something that we're. Who knows if this type of thing can happen next season? But one thing I do know is that, you know, he could get to. There, there's a possibility if he goes on some sort of tear like he has done um, during the regular season. I mean, if he, he could reach 50 home runs at the end of the regular season, he can do that. But if you don't do anything in the playoffs, here's just the reality you get forgotten about. You know, I mean, for example, with with the Giants right now, and um, you know they're they're being compared a lot to that ninety three win te- or ninety three uh, giant season, that ninety three team, you know, where they had a hundred plus wins but didn't do anything in the playoffs. I mean, if you're a team, at least you know they did something and were winning ball games during the regular season. But if you just don't even have a chance to get near the postseason, like nobody's going to want to watch you toward the end of September. You know, I mean, everyone was watching because there's the allure of watching the Yankees, and you get to watch Shohei Ohtani play, and that's the only reason people do watch the Angels play. But by the time the postseason comes around, I'm just going to be sitting there wishing that Shohei Ohtani was able to play, wishing that he was on a better team than the Angels, one that's better constructed to get into the playoffs, because their problem has been, time and time again, I mean, you know, granted, two of their best players have been, uh, two of some of their best hitters have been hurt, and Anthony Rendon, who they gave a huge contract to, and it doesn't look like Mike Trout is going to be back uh, this uh, this season. I mean, he was supposed to come back in July, that's what was reported uh, earlier on in the year, but it doesn't even look like he's going to be back in the season. They're just going to hold him out for the entirety of the year. They don't feel like there's a point in bringing him back, just because they know they don't really have a chance of making the playoffs, which actually makes total sense, but with a historic season like this, with a guy—I mean, you heard Matt Vasgersian on the call. The dude had a steal already in the game. He is a five-man. He's more than a five-tool player. I don't. A seven-tool player is—is is that what Shohei Otani is? Maybe. I—I I don't know. I, I'm running out of things to say for this guy. But all I do know is that him being on the Angels, oh, it just frustrates the hell out of me. Frustrates the hell out of me. I mean, if he wins the MVP, that's great. That's great. But how many guys can actually... Oh, man. Oh, boy. Here we go. We got mic issues already going on in the main studio. But, I mean, you know, how many times do we actually remember an MVP season? We're going to remember this one for sure, but... How much does that really matter compared to the postseason? Like, imagine if we were able to call Otani, or, or at least look at Otani and say, "Oh man, that guy was able to lead his team over to the American League Championship Series." I'm not even going to say World Series because because that's way too far for the Angels at this point. But just every amazing thing that he's able to do, man. I, I don't know. I get I get frustrated every single morning that I talk about it. All right. 888 957 From the 707, I'm so sick of Cueto. Stop doing the shimmy until you can make it to the six. Maybe try chewing one stick of Juicy Fruit instead of a whole pack. A <laughs> you know, whole pack of Big League Chew at one time. Then maybe you can throw the damn ball. Chewing that much gum must tire him out. Come on, man. If he's doing the shimmy, that means something good is happening. And yesterday, he did the shimmy, ended up throwing one for a ball, and then I believe it was to Rowdy Telez, and then Telez ended up hitting that triple, which Mike Yastrzemski overplayed. He should have gotten a better read on it. Maybe they wouldn't have scored a run, but nothing was going to save the Giants in yesterday's game uh, when the lineup couldn't get anything going as they were over with runners in scoring position, which has uh, been a theme, really, uh, for the past couple of weeks. All right. Coming up next, want to know from you at 888-957-9570. That that was a completely awkward transition. Ben Simmons. Now, Warrior fans, I'm sure you're tired of this. And if you want to talk some football, I will be getting to the 53-man roster as well um, because really there weren't any surprises uh, on my end. But I do uh, want to know from you, Warrior fans. Ben Simmons, are you in or are you out? I will give you a trade proposal On the other side, see if you're into it. But Ben Simmons, I want to get a gauge here, an early gauge. Are you in or are you out? Triple eight nine five seven nine five seven zero. That's the text line and the phone number. Because reports were surfacing from Philadelphia that Ben Simmons is completely done with the Sixers, wants nothing to do with them, and continues what he's been saying in that. He wants to join not only West Coast teams, but he has three very specific teams in mind. And the Golden State Warriors are one of them. Do you want that? Triple eight nine five seven nine five seven zero. 957 9570 Stephen Langford in on the pregame show. 95.7 The Game.
0: Now back to the pregame show on 95.7 The Game, here's Stephen Langford. A
1: 957 9570 is the text line and the phone number if you want to weigh in. Just a big sigh. You know, the top text I got, and I want to know from you at a 957 9570 I want to know from you at the text line and the phone number... Ben Simmons, when you saw the reports yesterday that it's damn near official that he's just out of Philadelphia, even though they have what, four more years with him uh, on a, a contract with him, but yesterday it was made known that he... Only is interested in playing for three of the California teams. I don't know uh, what that means. I'm, I'm going to assume that it'll just be the uh, the Warriors and the Clippers and the Lakers. I don't think the Sacramento Kings would be somewhere that he'd be interested in playing. But you know, I could be wrong. I could get a, a wrong read on Ben Simmons. You know, we try to dissect this guy's life and uh, try to judge the type of person that he is just based off the TMZ reports that we say. I don't necessarily think that. Um, uh, we we give Ben Simmons a, uh, a a proper evaluation as a person because everyone just watches one playoff game and sees a couple of TMZ articles posted online that makes all these assumptions. But I think one that I can safely say is uh, that he's probably talking about uh, the Clippers and the Lakers and the Warriors and not exactly uh, the Sacramento Kings. And maybe that's just, uh, you know, my home bias. But uh, also from the 510 on the text line, panic is... A strong word for the Giants situation, I am a little concerned. Well, you know what, personally, I'm ready to get to that point where I'm saying in, in these next eight games, in this eight-game stretch that you got with no days off, you better be going 6-2, and 7-1, and one, or you better win all eight games if you want to have a chance of winning the National League West and making it further in the playoffs. Like, I don't want the wild card for the Giants. I don't want the wild card. I want the division. I want to go straight to a five-game series and try and test our luck there. Maybe they can have some September call-ups in that time. Um, and you never know. You never know. You could get a, uh, a rookie starter who might be ready to you know play in the playoffs right away, kind of like uh, Madison Bumgarner was, although uh, we know that he didn't get off to too much of a hot start in his postseason career. But nevertheless, I want to know from you at 888 957 what is the package that you'd be willing to trade for Ben Simmons? Because here's here's the breakdown here, and I got Duriel and San Jose waiting on the line and David San Ramon, and I, and I will get to them, and please feel free to call in at 888-957-9570. But how it's working out right now is Ben Simmons is going to be getting paid $33 million this year, thirty five next season, thirty seven next season, and forty million next season. That's a lot of quiche. A lot of cash. And you don't wanna and you don't wanna get to the point where you're just, you know, spending money. Into the luxury tax because there's nothing more that Warrior fans know than the luxury tax. Like, <laughs> like I guarantee you, there's no fan base in the entirety of the NBA who has more education on the luxury tax and what it means than Golden State Warriors fans. And thank you so much, Joe Lacob, for that. For trying to spend the money and, uh, and and you know and risk a lot to try and get the Warriors some W. So I do appreciate uh, I do appreciate that from Joe Lacob being willing to spend, but. If you were to try and get Ben Simmons, this year it would cost you $33 million. Now, Draymond Green, for example, his name is being brought up a lot. This season, you're going to be paying him $24 million. Last year you paid him twenty two, but this season you're paying him twenty four. Then uh, the next, the season after that, you're paying him twenty five, and then after that you have the uh, he has the option to stay with the Warriors and possibly make uh, twenty eight million dollars. So um, you're paying him quite a lot too 24, 25 and twenty eight. However, that is far less than Ben Simmons. So if Draymond Green were involved in this trade package that you'd want to sort out. Then you'd have to make up for the extra ten to twelve million that you would be uh, that you'd have to owe Ben Simmons there as well. So what would you do? You'd probably add a couple of first round picks in there, future first round picks to help cover the cost uh, later on down the line, the next couple of seasons. But you'd also have to be willing to maybe throw in a guy like James Wiseman um, in that situation. Uh, what do you think? 888 What's 9570 That's the text line in the phone number. What is your limit here to trade for Ben Simmons? Uh, Duriel in San Jose, let's go to you first. We are getting some calls here. 888 9570 That's the text line in the phone number. Duriel in San Jose, what do you think?
2: Uh, I'll try to be fast, man. Basically, you know, <laughs> if you're relying on a guy like Draymond Green, he doesn't show up night in and night out. He's not tough. He's a fake tough guy. If he's the toughest player and he's the leader of your team, you're in a lot of trouble and everything. He's a bad example for the young players. You know, he can't score himself. He has uh, one of the worst offensive games ever and everything. He can't hit a 10, 12, 15-foot jump shot, but he's warming up shooting threes for some reason, which is ridiculous. He shouldn't be allowed to shoot them and everything. He's a rah-rah guy. He's criminally overrated, and if you can put him on the Detroit Pistons or the Timbuktu Kangaroos, and he probably won't finish the season as a starter. You get Ben Simmons, he's a blue chipper, he's a uh, class guy and everything. He's going to put numbers up, so you bring him to a class organization and you try to fix what's wrong with him. Steve Kerr, you were a role player and a bench player, and you're starting to act like it and coach like it and everything. Draymond Green ran off Kevin Durant, he ran off KD and wrote his coach help to a gold medal like a chump and you look like a joke hanging out next to him and everything. Dollar store LeBron and get him off the team. And I don't care what Steph thinks. He needs to start winning more championships. You know what
1: I mean? Appreciate the phone call, Duriel. Look, that's going to be the key. That's the one right there. What does Steph Curry think? And... You know, there's a lot of other stuff that's going on within Steph Curry's personal life, so I don't know. You know, how how much of the focus is on the team, but everything seems to be coming at him at once. Everything that happened with Draymond in that interview with Kevin Durant, I wonder if that is going to. uh, I I really do wonder if that's going to factor into any of this, you know, because these could just be reports after all. These could just be reports, and when you say one of the three California teams, if you're the Golden State Warriors, of course you're going to be uh, uh, brought into it. But Keith Pompey, who covers the Sixers, who's a 76ers beat writer, here's what he had to say with the details on Ben Simmons.
3: This is what like a Western Conference executive told me, but I'm assuming the I team out would be Sacramento, the team that, like below the bay. The two L.A. teams are, are, are good fits. Because you look at the Lakers, and you look at the uh, the Clippers, and you look at the Warriors. I mean, why wouldn't you want to play for one of those three teams? You know, I think the Kings are the team that's the hot man out.
1: Yeah, probably. Probably. So, look, for me, man, I like Ben Simmons. Um and, and, and the five seven four is right here. Where was it? Uh, the five seven four. Where was that text? Because you know, I just got so many damn texts in here. James Wiseman said, "Draymond Green for Ben or James Wiseman and Draymond Green for Ben Simmons is a trade I would do, but I don't think Philly would accept that offer." And with the way that Philly is trying to is trying to uh, structure their team, I don't really know what they're trying to do. But when you got a couple of you know, big men in Joel Embiid and uh, and 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 Andre Drummond and whoever else is on that 76ers roster right now. And, you know, Ben Simmons can actually, you know, depending on the lineup that they're throwing out there, uh, can count as a big man, too, because this man is seven feet. But look, Ben Simmons is 6'11". He can handle the ball like a point guard. He can guard all. Positions one through five on defense. He's a terrific perimeter defender. And the biggest knock on him, obviously, is the shooting. And when everyone was hyper focused on Ben Simmons and what he was doing. Cause when you follow along on social media and everyone is posting the videos of, you know, Ben Simmons being afraid to shoot and being afraid to even trying to draw a foul because he's too afraid to go to the free throw line. Well, everyone automatically just looks at that and just thinks, you know, Ben Simmons sucks. I don't want him on my team. But if you look at it during the regular season, the fact that a guy who was an MVP candidate in Joel Embiid who was hurt for some of that time and the Sixers were still able to remain atop the Eastern Conference a large part of that was due to the play of Ben Simmons and what he was able to do Look, this man can get you an average of 16 points 7 rebounds and 7 assists a game this guy can be a triple-double machine if he wanted to. He doesn't have to be a, a, a mid-range type of guy. He doesn't have to be a mid-range shooter. He's the the guy that's going to go to the rim. He's going to rock you at the hoop, and he's going to try and dunk on you. And the thing with Ben Simmons, for me, is that he will open... So many more plays up for Steph as well as for Clay Thompson uh, on offense, but also will relieve Clay Thompson of some of that defensive effort that he has to put in on the other side of the floor. Because look, if you do trade, if you do trade Andrew Wiggins, for example, in this deal, and we'll get to what Keith Pompey had to say uh, with Wiggins being thrown into this as well, but. If you trade Andrew Wiggins and you replace him with Ben Simmons, I mean, essentially, you're going to be seeing maybe Steph run point, Clay Thompson at the two. I, I don't know who could be playing at small forward. I don't know how they'd work things out there. Kavan Looney at center, Draymond at the four, then Ben Simmons at the three. Uh, I, I don't really know how it works out. But before we get to uh, 76ers beat writer Keith Pompey and what he had to say on Damon Rado and Kolsky yesterday, here's Dave and Sam Ramon who wants to weigh in. What's going on, Dave?
2: What's going on? So what I would do is I would give up Wiggins i give up Moody and maybe a pick or two because I don't think they want Wiseman because they have been beat and I think they already have a backup right. center.
1: Drummond, yeah. Uh, right.
2: But with that being said, I'm taking Simmons, putting them at the three, and what you get there is more consistency uh, points-wise than Wiggins, and you get twice the defense. Uh, right. Then... I want to keep Draymond out there. Yeah, I agree with Doriel to a certain extent, but I don't want to give up Draymond because we need those boards. You take Simmons. Uh, oh, another point. Another point. Everybody's worried about Simmons in the playoffs. Guess what? He doesn't have to be that guy. If he comes to the Warriors, he just has to be a guy. And like Steph and Clay. You, you know. You know what I mean.
1: Dave, you are leading me to the next point that I was going to make because we are – look, Andrew Wiggins, right? When he came to the Warriors, nobody was high on Andrew Wiggins coming to the Warriors. Nobody really liked that move. It was a necessary move because D'Angelo Russell wasn't a good fit, and you needed somewhere to allocate that money uh, and, and, you know, try to trade a max player for a max player. But – Look, the money worked out there. And when Andrew Wiggins came over, we had the worst... He had the worst narrative surrounding him. The worst type of narrative. Almost the same narrative as Ben Simmons, except the Timberwolves uh, weren't necessarily a deep playoff team every single season uh, ever since Andrew uh, Wiggins was was a rookie. But Ben Simmons and Andrew Wiggins have had pretty similar careers... And the way that it's panned out. Now, granted, Ben Simmons' career has gone much better uh, than Andrew Wiggins, and I think he's proven to be a much uh, a much better player than Wiggins was during his time with the Timberwolves. But you know, being that number one pick, expected to be either the number one or number two guy with the big man on the team. Kind of like Carl Anthony Towns over there in Minnesota, and then Joel Embiid whenever he was healthy uh, with the Philadelphia 76ers. Then you're expected to be the guy over there. You're expected to be the leader of the team. And, and, and look, I think that's something that maybe goes unrecognized within the NBA, but it's hard doing that, especially as a young player. When things are constantly changing, all eyes are on you. And be it in Philadelphia. A lot of the blame has come on Ben Simmons. We've heard the way that uh, Angelo Cataldi and Howard Eskin, a lot of those guys, I believe Howard Eskin's actually going to be joining the morning roast today, but you hear the way those guys speak about Ben Simmons. Whenever you hear any Philadelphia guy who most likely will be joining the station at some point today because that's what's going to happen when you get Ben Simmons news. You're going to bring on some Philadelphia guys. They're going to be down on it. And they're going to you know, say, he's a bum, he doesn't show any effort, blah, blah, blah. He wishes he could be this player, that sort of stuff. But look at the way we've turned on Wiggins now. Or come around on Wiggins, I guess, is a better way to put it. Look at the way that we view him now when he wasn't expected to be the guy. You know, you already had Draymond and Steph for that. You didn't need Wiggins to be the leader of the team. You just needed him to focus on basketball and what was going on on the court. And with the type of guy that Wiggins is, that's more suited for him in his role. We don't know what that's going to look like for Ben Simmons. And for me, the dude's an all-star. He's an all-defensive player. Like I think, if you can find a way to bring him in now, granted, if you do trade Draymond Green, then you'd have to be willing to give up more assets as opposed to Andrew Wiggins because Andrew Wiggins makes uh, about five million more. Actually, the same exact amount as Joel Embiid because they got their max contracts under the same under the same exact circumstances. So they uh, Andrew Wiggins and Joel Embiid have exactly the same contract, but you're going to be paying him. About five to seven million more, depending on the season, as time goes on with his contract, than you would be with Draymond Green. So the the money would have to work out there. You'd you'd be having to give up less with Draymond just so the money uh, can add up. But look, overall, if they if they can get this done, if they give up a you know maybe Draymond a couple of first round picks, and man, there there are a couple other players on this team that you could be looking at. I don't know if. You know, I don't know how much value uh, Kaminga and uh, Moody both have. I don't know if you want to package them. They'd be making about a total of $9 million, uh this season. Kaminga making $5.5 million uh, 5. 5, while Moody's making three point five. So they'd be making about $9 million this year. If you add Draymond with those two guys and a couple of future first-rounders, the money could end up working out and you wouldn't be paying as much into the luxury tax. And with how raw Kaminga is, and, you know, Moody actually kind of looks like he's a a pro-ready player, much much more ready than Kaminga, and Kaminga looks just so damn athletic, though. But, I mean, if you throw those two guys, along with Draymond, and then a couple of future first-rounders for Ben Simmons, man, there's a chance that I'd do it. There's a chance that I'd do it. And from the 650, can we give my man Jason Dumas some credit? He's been on top of the Simmons trade chatter from the start, no doubt. Shout out to Dumas. Part-time host here over at 957 and as well as uh, uh as well as working over there at Cron. Shout out to Jason Dumas who has been on top of this reporting really ever since the start. <laughs> I remember that. He was doing a weekend show and he was giving the details. It's just like, my goodness, no one else is talking about this. Uh, but Keith Pompey He was talking with DRK yesterday, and here's what he had to say when people start comparing Ben Simmons as well as Draymond Green.
3: I always said that he was a bigger Draymond, you know, because he's 6'10", 6'10 and a half. And it just so happens where, you know, Draymond's a point forward. In the Sixers situation, Ben is the point guard. But to me, that's what a team is going to get. You're going to get like a bigger, maybe quicker, you know, faster Draymond Green.
1: And, and, you know, maybe not as tough as Draymond is on defense. You know, I'm not going to act like I understand, um, uh, not understand, but I'm not going to act like I've seen... A lot of three-on-one opportunities where Ben Simmons is the one on defense and he got three on offense going at him. But I've seen that plenty with Draymond Green and I've seen how scared uh, some of these guys get. And Just go back to the Pacers game and uh, watch the way that uh, Malcolm Brogdon and company were trying to work their way around Draymond Green. They couldn't even get a bucket when they were going three-on-one. That's the intimidation that Draymond brings. But he brings that on the defensive end of the floor. But, but on the offensive end... Man, if you're telling me that, you know, you could go out there with Steph Clay at some point by the time Clay gets back, it might be Christmas Day coming back earlier than expected. And you have Ben Simmons on the floor as well, and you manage to keep Wiseman in the process who you can maybe develop for this season, I'd like the look of that. I think that could be a very successful team. And with Ben Simmons getting back on defense, it's just a question as to you know whether the warriors want to do it i wonder if draymond's uh draymond's conversation with kevin durant had anything to do with these trades or plays any sort of role uh, i wonder if it does cuz we don't know and you know really ever since that interview we were going crazy about it for a couple of days but as far as i've seen there hasn't been much chatter about it since so maybe that's all cooled down maybe draymond's spoken to the team who knows what's going on there but Keith Pompey, here's the last thing I want to play for you. This is what he's talking about with the current version of Ben Simmons and who we see now.
3: You would hope that you know Ben Simmons hit rock bottom right now, to whereas he would you know at least try to you know hit some jumpers or attempt some jumpers you know from the outside. I think that if that whatever team that gets Ben Simmons is. You know, he's a really good guy as far as a facilitator. He's a great defender and he can play multiple positions. But if you're looking at Ben Simmons to be a traditional point guard, a point guard that you could depend on like late in the games to open up the floor and, and hit threes and stuff like that, that's just not his game.
1: And I think they could give you a lot of possibilities. And this is not to mention here. How much longer can Draymond play at the level that he's played on defense? How much longer can he do it? Can he keep that going, not only this season, but the next two years? You know, as he, just, as he continues to get older and guys get quicker, guys become, be, uh, become more athletic, and you know that he's on the back end of wanting to start his broadcasting career, whereas Ben Simmons is young in his mid-20s and you know that whatever you're paying for for the next few seasons, you're going to be getting this dude damn near in his prime, the Warriors can remake that type of a guy. I do think they can. Sure, some of the in-game decisions by Steve Kerr are a little questionable, but one thing that we have seen them do is rebuild narratives around certain players. Someone mentioned here uh, uh, Javal McGee.